Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. I'm delighted to have back Dillis Guyan, who is an international speaker, coach, and trainer, and she's been a top producer uh, working at the Barclays Financial Management. She's worked with hundreds of companies over her uh, career, and today we're going to be basically having a good old poke at individuals and leaders who are paralyzed because of the COVID-19 crisis. And we're also going to be looking at reasons why that's happening and what to do to overcome it. Dennis, can you just give one minute overview of why you think people are crazy asking you the question, well, should we stop prospecting? Yes, absolutely. And, and funny enough, Marcus, I've just had an email from someone asking me that very question. Should we stop Because obviously, these are her words, obviously the businesses have closed their doors, closed their wallets and won't be buying. And my answer was, no, do not stop your marketing because you've got to keep that marketing machine rolling and keep talking to people to fill your pipeline. If they don't want to do business right now, then you you can put them in your pipeline and keep in touch with them keep that touch and and maybe sending some information to them. And you will be surprised at those who do want to buy. And I know that you have secured business this week, Marcus, and I did yesterday too. I secured a a 12-month contract online, on Zoom, yesterday. So please do not stop. If you do and you stop and you start again in two or three months' time, you're starting from a standing start. And of course, as we know, selling in the B2B space particularly, you've got that lead-in time, that sales cycle that can often be months. It can often be more than months, but you're not going to get sales in the door from day one. So it's critically important that you continue. And there's another element here is that a lot of your competitors will be thinking the same thing. They'll be thinking, yeah, businesses have closed. They'll have closed their wallet. There's no point in me contacting them. And so if you do it, you will put yourself head and shoulders above the competitors. And it's been proven in crises over the years that those who continue with the marketing come up trumps when things go back to normality. So three points. First of all, what you don't do today, you're going to pay a heavy price for tomorrow. Indeed. You have a sales cycle length. And if your sales cycle is three months, six months, 12 months, if you stop prospecting today, when this crisis dies down and things start to normalize, you're going to be nailed to a tree. Second thing, because your competition is sat there licking their wounds, what they've forgotten is that the economy does not stop. I know a lot of people think that it is because we've seen film footage of India, you know, with empty streets, which, you know, it's probably the first time, you know, in its history. But the reality is that in 2010, at the depths of the worst recession in recorded history up until now, in the UK, 1.3 trillion, let me repeat that, 1.3 trillion pounds went through the UK economy. Now, what that means in effect is that people may not be buying from you, but they are buying. And the reason they're not buying from you is because you are paralyzed. You have given away the crown jewels. Now is the time to double down. And let me illustrate this with a point. At the beginning of World War II, Bourneville was the number one chocolate manufacturer in the United Kingdom. And Cadbury was a spin-off 
it was very much the number two. At the beginning of the war, Bourneville stopped all their advertising. Cadbury's doubled their advertising, despite the fact there was no cocoa, there was no sugar, and there was no dairy. When they came out of the war, then Cadbury's dominated. I mean, you know, ask yourself the question, when was the last time you bought a Bourneville chocolate bar? So what you need to understand is that when this crisis settles down and people start to get used to working from home, working in isolation, business will carry on. And if you are not already in their mind, you are going to struggle. I was on a call with a number of my partners recently, only a couple of days ago. What they've found is that the get-through rate is higher than it has ever been Mm -hmm. in their working lives. They're getting through to decision makers roughly one in seven dial attempts. So that's fantastic. Now, what you also need to remember is when this is over, then there will be a land grab and everyone will start piling in. And those people who are easy to get hold of today will put up their defense walls and they will be a nightmare. You need to be delivering value to them now. And as Dillis said, even if you can't sell to them immediately, for whatever reason, because what you're offering is a nice to have, not a need to have, when they do start to spend again, you need to have already built your pipeline. Now is the time to double down on your prospecting activity. Fair? And on that point, Marcus, you're absolutely right that business owners, decision makers are open to talk. They're working from home, a lot of them. And yesterday, when I had my Zoom call, there was actually four people. So it was um, a decision-making panel, if you like. And the main director was in his bedroom with the bed behind him and the bedhead and so on. It made no difference. And he was, I have already spoken to him and it did cross my mind. I wonder if they're going to go ahead, but I just kept on, kept in touch, kept in touch and made myself known with other people in the business. And so the four of them were on there and they were so keen to talk. So please, listeners, don't let this negative chatter that goes on in your head that actually is false chatter Don't let it paralyze you into inaction. Now is the time, really. Pick up the mantle. And as Marcus said, double down on your marketing. What is the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? Nothing. You will just be surprised that you actually will get business. Your biggest competitor today is the noise between your ears. Yeah. The real difference is the medium through which you communicate has changed. Yes. You need to be sensitive. Yes, you need to be empathetic to their current situation. And yes, there may be some delays. That said, my recommendation is that you get your thinking caps on and you start to collaborate and you think about, okay, what do our products and services help to solve? What are the current problems? And also, we need to start speaking to senior decision makers about their strategy because the new normal will not go back to the way it was. The chances are that as this stretches out over the the months, there will be a shift in thinking and in behavior and habits. People will realize that they don't have to be dragged into interminable hellish meetings eight, nine times a day. What I'm seeing is that people's production levels are significantly increased. I've uh, found that a lot of my clients are producing more because they don't have the constant distractions and they like that. 
yes, they will go stir crazy in about 60 days, which is normal. And so things that help them to collaborate, things that help people to come up with simpler processes, better solutions, those are going to be very relevant. Having conversations with the CXOs about what their strategy is going to be when the new normal in terms of having to work from home comes in and the dust settles on this, but also thinking what happens when it's over? What's their strategy? How are they going to prepare? for COVID-19 maybe coming back in the winter and having maybe more precise lockdowns if there are outbreaks, if a vaccine isn't found. If the vaccine is found, what are they going to do to ensure continuity and disaster recovery plans for the future? What can we do in order to help them get their thinking caps on and think straighter? Because Salespeople, as far as I'm concerned, should be offering leadership and a safe pair of hands. Yes. They come to us for guidance because they can't solve the problem themselves. So, Dillis, tell me this, because I, I know that you feel very strongly about this. What can leadership and management do in order to help their salespeople get their heads on straight? Well, first of all, they have to be brave in a crisis. They have to be reliable in this crisis. It's no good the leaders quivering in this situation that we're in now. They have to dig deep and be a proper leader and lead from the front. And, and I know we've talked about motivation and you can't just tell someone to be motivated, but you can create that motivated environment by the things that you do and by displaying this strong, decisive leadership. But as leaders also, you don't have to know the answer to everything. You work with your teams to find ways around things, to be innovative with your thinking and to, to look at how can we contact it, who should we be contacting, first of all, what's the message going to be that will grab attention and want someone to speak to us, and that they should be training and coaching the people around and role-playing how to go about contacting people right now. Because the other thing that we need to remember is that every company who buys from you needs clients. So they need to, whatever your offering is, it will be a cog in the wheel towards bringing in a client because that's just what business is about. So that thinking around that as well, in terms of your clients need to be creating top of mind thinking, need to be doing all of the things that we need to be doing as salespeople, your clients need to be doing that too. And so in really, in a nutshell, it's lead with bravery and even if inside as a leader, you know, you're, you're like a swan and you, you look okay, but you, your feet are going under the water and you are a bit like that as a leader, you cannot demonstrate that. This is the time that you have to lead with some strength and with some courage. Make sure your people are trained properly. Make sure that you are role-playing with them to help them in terms of approaching and the sales conversations and so on. And make sure that you are supporting them along the way and giving them the courage to continue and not to allow this negative chatter 
to take over. Again, this is really interesting because I think as salespeople are working from home, they're going to feel very isolated. So what I'm also really curious about is what your thoughts are around how managers can coach to maintain salespeople's mental well-being. Right. Because I think that's going to be really critical in the next six to nine months. Yes, it certainly is. And one of the fortunate things that we have right now is all of the technology. We can, we can jump onto a Zoom call or Skype where we can see each other. I personally love Zoom because it's quite robust. And the whole team can come on. With the bigger version of Zoom, you've got Zoom rooms where you can separate people out. They can brainstorm together or they can brainstorm as one team if it's not too big a team. There's annotations. There's all sorts that you can do with Zoom. So the leaders have to be thinking outside of the box. You can't have meetings in a hotel anymore. And as Marcus said, I don't think we will go back to that. I think our new normal will be very much doing things online which incidentally, as an aside, will cut down on on wasted time in meetings. It will cut down on travel. It will cut down on pollution. It will cut down on traffic jams. So that's just as an aside. But leaders, you need to be thinking innovatively as to how you are going to support. And you've got got Zoom for team meetings. You can also have Zoom for your one-to-ones, for your role plays. There's no reason that you can say, I can't because. It's really about saying, I could if. Not I can't because, but I could if. And it sets your creative mind, you know, thinking about ways around. Well, one of the things that I've heard so much pushback on is around coaching and role play, where managers have historically claimed, I don't have time. Let me be blunt. You do have time now. Yes, okay? indeed. And if you are not coaching your people, you are derelict in your duty. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I would consider that to be an act of gross misconduct and worthy of firing. In this marketplace, they need your support more than ever. It is your responsibility to hit the team target. Now, there will be many of you where your senior leadership will not be moving the target. Now, Sandler Research Center did uh, a study last year, and what we discovered was that only 13, 1-3% of sales teams hit their team target. 44% of individual salespeople globally hit their target last year. It's the first time it's ever gone below 50%. And my prediction is this. The 44% will drop, but the 13% will stay constant. And the one factor there that makes the biggest difference is that they have a manager who coaches. Now, the research on this also is very clear. Managers who coach their salespeople individually for between three and three and a half hours per month will typically achieve 105% of target. Managers who do not coach or coach below that level will typically achieve 40 to 60% of target. So it's really, really important that you pull your finger out. There is a fabulous book called The Sales Coach's Playbook that gives you a framework. It's written by a guy called Bill Bartlett. You can buy it on Kindle or you can get it off Amazon. Get it now. Read it, consume it, and apply it. 
and make sure you have a cadence of coaching, which you diarize with each of your salespeople to make sure that, first of all, you understand their personal motivation, why they are in sales, why they are in this job, and what they want this job to help them deliver. For whom? And make sure that you are helping them develop at least one area per week. And it's not about telling. It's about having them come up with the answer themselves through your questioning. There's a critical point here as well, Marcus, in that not only do I see that coaching is missing, I also see training missing. And they're two very different things. Completely. And what I see so often is that companies will hire a new salesperson who's possibly been working with another company more often than not, they will have been. And as a salesperson, they're very, very good at selling themselves an interview. Firstly, the recruitment system or the recruiting skills of managers for me isn't adequate and it isn't efficient and they're not digging deep enough to find out the real picture of, of who they're hiring. But then the the leaders have a mindset that says, right, you've been a salesperson before, so obviously you can do the job. And I'm going to be quite brutal here and say to you, obviously they always can't do the job. And as a leader, it is your role to find out their capabilities. And just because they've worked for another company doesn't mean that they've worked in yours with your processes, working to your standards and your values. So it's important that you do some training with them. So find out where they are and then train them. And I know you and I have had this conversation before, Marcus, but I think it's worth mentioning here today. My husband used to be in the Marines and their training was critically important. The coaching came afterwards, but the training was critically important because they couldn't risk. It was men's lives at risk if they didn't train them properly on every element of their process. And they used a process called EDI, Explanation, Demonstration, Imitation. So explain it, demonstrate it, and then let them try it until you can see that they can do it. And then they can do the job right first time, but then sometimes you need to course correct because they go off track. And this is where the coaching comes in. And I'd just like to to share a story with you about Sir Chris Hoy, the Olympic gold medalist, the the cyclist. And I heard him speaking a number of years ago and he said, you know, I wasn't born an Olympic gold medalist. I was an eight-year-old boy who got a BMX bike and then joined a cycling club. And he said it was at that cycling club meeting one month where the coach said, right, lads, I want you to write down exactly what it is that you want to achieve. What's your dream? What's your vision? He said, and I wrote down that I wanted to be a gold medalist in the Olympics. He said, and all of the lads laughed, but he said, my coach didn't. And my coach said to me, if that's what you want, then let's look at every single step of the process. And I will train you in every step of the process. And then I will coach you on marginal gains in each step of the process. He said, when I became the the champion and the gold medalist, he said, I had to dig even deeper and think about how can I get marginal gains, even though I'm at the top of my game? How can I get a marginal gain in each step of my process? 
to stay ahead of my competitors. This is really important. Training is not an event. It needs to be ongoing. And you need to make sure that your people reach standards. And then what you're looking for is slight edge. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why we, or the principal reason why we offer ongoing reinforcement training within Sandler is that we know that people will backslide, but also we know that they can always improve. If you think you are the finished article, frankly, you're a dead man walking, you're a dinosaur. And uh, I know Dillis doesn't like this, but I think that many salespeople are functionally illiterate. They've stopped reading. They've stopped watching training. There is so much training available. Now, you have to be discerning because, frankly, a lot of it is awful. But find people who actually deliver the results. Seek out mentors, trainers, coaches. I have six coaches. I do this for a living, and I have six coaches. Think of a single top-performing athlete who doesn't have coaches. You'd be hard-pushed because you cannot improve without working collaboratively with others. And you need people to challenge you. You need people to hold up the ugly mirror. You need people to analyze what you're doing and say, well, have you tried this? What about that? Because it's very easy to approach a problem in the way you always have. And if you've always done it that way, it doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. And there are a lot of really bad sales behaviors, recruitment behaviors, management behaviors that people have always done. But actually, you need to ask the question, well, what if we didn't do it that way? Yeah. What if we did 100% the opposite, 180 degrees the opposite? What if we did less of it, more of it? What if we did this differently? And you need, as a salesperson, to take ownership of that. You, as a manager, you absolutely need to be questioning and challenging your salespeople to grow and get better. Sorry, I interrupted. No, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely horrified that 44% of salespeople aren't reaching the quota. Oh, sorry. No, 44%, 56%. 56% aren't. There is every book, there's every video, there's people doing snippet videos online, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on all of the channels. And yet 56% aren't reaching their quota. This, it saddens me so much that, that people aren't. And they could do self-learning. Yes, of course they could. But the leaders and the managers, they play such an important part in this. You know, if there's anyone out there, any leaders who think, actually, all I need to do is crunch the numbers and then tell them that we need more of this or more of that and more of the other, without training them or coaching them to be able to do it, you know, you are not a leader if you do that. Your role is to develop your people on an ongoing basis. I'd like to pick up on something uh, that you said as well about recruiting veterans. Recruiting veterans need a strong onboarding process. I always recommend my clients 120 days because in the first four months, you are deciding, is this the job I was sold? Is my boss an ass? Do I like the people I'm working with? Do I like the customers? Can I succeed? Was I better off where I was? And they are putting you, the manager, the job, the company, on probation. In that 120 days, you need to make sure that you've identified what they need to know by when they need to know it, where they can find the resources they need so that they can develop that skill or that knowledge, 
and how you are going to measure it. And this feeds into two really important rules, uh, three important rules about recruitment. One is never compromise on recruitment. Better to not hire somebody than hire a bad hire mm-hmm. in sales, in sales management, and in the channel. Secondly, better no breath than bad breath. And the uh, third element of this is that you hire slow and you fire fast. This is a great opportunity for leaders, and I'm not going to be very popular amongst the sales community, but I think it needs to be said. Now is the time for you to cull the those who are not willing to change or not able to change. It's your responsibility to be a caring employer and make sure you give them every possibility. But if they're not able to change or they're not willing, then get them out of your organization and off your balance sheet. I don't know. Can, if I, just, can I just say, though, on that point, Marcus, that the, the leader has to be able to put their hand on the heart and say, I have done everything that I needed to do to develop this person. Absolutely. And if then they are a round peg in a square hole, then it is kinder to allow them to go. And I know you and I use different language, but, you know, when I was regional sales director at Barclays and I had to let people go, I let them go with the, in the kindest, with love, I sent them on their way. Because when somebody is underperforming, they're hurting. And we're in violent agreement. I agree. But it now is not the time to allow your desire to be liked, your fear of conflict to get in the way of making the correct decision. Hanging on to these people who cannot and will not change is going to do your business harm and will result in more layoffs, more redundancies, possibly bankruptcy. Use this opportunity to prospect for great salespeople and start building your bank of potential candidates. So when you are ready to hire, you've got five people lined up who can and will do the job, who are going to perform in role. And this is where another area that I have a real bee in my bonnet about, which is a classic route to management, is you get tapped on the shoulder because your boss gets fired and said, you're a good performer, Dillis, why don't you become the manager? Congratulations, you are one. You need to think as a leader, you need to be thinking about training your managers to manage sales. Sales management is the single most precarious role there is in any organization. Two bad quarters and you're out. One bad quarter and you may be out. And what you need to understand is it is your job as a manager to get the best out of your people and hit the team target by whatever means necessary. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a monster. A lot of managers think that they can manage the numbers. You can't. If you think that, you're an idiot. You cannot manage the numbers because the numbers are a byproduct of behavior. So if you are an ivory tower spreadsheet jockey who spends their time interrogating the CRM and getting your salespeople to produce pointless reports about lag indicators, stop it. Get out into the, uh, the field. Well, now onto Zoom and telephone calls. Coach them. Spend time on sales calls with your salespeople. You don't even have to leave your bedroom. You can be in your gym jams and you can be doing this. The challenge here is that leaders need to invest in their managers. Teach them how to hire predictably. Teach them how to hire people who will work out in the job. And don't look at your traditional job description, which is filled with skills, historical experience and historical results because those are lag indicators. 
All they say is Marcus may have been good once. It doesn't tell you whether I was burnt out, whether I was lucky, I happened to be in the right place at the right time, or I was carried. The predictors of success, which require you to interview in a very effective way to uncover habit, prospecting habit, listening habit, questioning habit, planning habit, organizational habits, disqualifying habits, looking for attitudes and beliefs and values, self-concept being the first thing in attitude, because you will only perform to the level your self-concept will allow. Your belief around whether this economy is a, an opportunity or a millstone around your neck. Money concept, your parity with your prospect. Do you see yourself as your customer's equal? These are things that make a difference. Will you act with integrity? Is it ever okay to lie to a prospect? And your cognitive abilities, your ability to learn and adapt. So coming out of this period, the kind of questions I would be asking are, okay, when COVID-19 hit, what did you do to adapt your approach to prospecting? Show me your pipeline for the the next 90 days after the lockdown was announced. Because I want to see that that pipeline was growing. I don't want to see that it suddenly dropped off a cliff. Because that tells me that you've got a mental problem in terms of a block and that you are allowing extrinsic circumstance over which you have zero control to get in the way. If you're in hospitality or travel, fair enough. Your business has pretty much died on its ass. There's nothing you can do about that. But in many other businesses, there's no reason why your pipeline should have suffered at all. It just means that you have to get on the horse and get a bit more creative about your prospecting. Just on that point of hospitality, that doesn't say you can't make contact and create top of mind thinking. So Absolutely. Don't go, oh, well, that industry is dead. Yes, it may be at the moment, but that does not say that you can't be doing something within the industry. If everybody's at home, you could do, you know, there's loads of things. You could be doing group training. You could be doing PR work for the future. I, I had someone, let me just remember what this was exactly. Oh, yes. And this is a guy who works for a company and they they find sponsors for the sports industry, you know, for Formula One and so on and so forth. And they we were talk I was talking with him about how he could pivot because the sports games aren't going on. So they can't the sponsors can't have their names around the area of the football pitch, for example. But what's happened is that a lot of these companies now have gone online and are doing things a bit differently. So they are now getting the sponsors, they're putting adverts online. So it's just this creative thinking, you know, so you would have thought, well, the sports, there's no way that they're going to be able to do anything. But when we brainstormed out, actually, there was lots of ways that they could do things. And and They're in a consumer, they're not dead. That's right. The other point I'd like to just pick up on Marcus, was when you were talking about recruiting and having people in the pipeline. And I'd just like to share something that I used to do, and I'm sure you've done this in the past, is with my best performers, both financial advisors and field sales managers, this is when I was in financial services, I would say to them, so financial uh, field manager, for example, I would say, tell me, who have you worked with in the past that's as good as you? that you really rate and has got, you know, works with your values and so on. And they would give me these names. And I would say, would you let them know that I'm just going to give them a call? And then I would call these people and say, hi, this is Dillis Gahan from Barclays Financial Management. 
Barry recommended that I have a chat to you because he holds you in high esteem. And I wondered if we could just have a coffee just for yep. me to talk to you about uh, Barclays and what we're doing. And you can tell me more about what you're doing just to see if there is a common interest there for Thank the you. future, for the future. So we'd have this coffee meeting and I'd say, I can't offer you a position but really, I just would like to know if you would be interested in me calling you when a position comes up. And I would only say that if I was interested in them. And they would say, gosh, yes, absolutely I would. So I, used, I had this book full of potentials that I could then call and say, right, we've got a position. Would you like to come in for interview? Because well, I didn't th- promise them the, the position. I promised them an interview. Well, you've, t- you've touched on something that, very few managers really understand. Salespeople have to prospect for new customers. Managers have to prospect for new hires. And prospecting for new hires should be a daily activity. Do what Dillis suggested. That's a fantastic suggestion. The other thing is go onto LinkedIn, see who the top performers are in your competition, see who they're connected to, see who the top performers are in your organization and see who they're connected to, and then reach out to those people and do a quick five-minute Zoom call with them, have the same kind of approach, and take up references from people before you even interview them. can't say, uh, Dillis, I'm thinking of speaking to uh, Fred Jones. I know that uh, your first connections. How well do you know him? Tell me a little bit about him. Would you rate him? Okay, are you okay that I mention your name when I drop him a line? And that creates a warm contact. And you have to be prospecting regularly. My management clients who do this, it takes them one month to fill a vacancy when it comes up, which means that often because of the uh, notice period, there's actually a proper handover. Instead of taking 16 weeks, now that's three months of additional selling time. Now, what does that mean? Well, that on a £1.2 million target, that's an additional £300,000 worth of revenue instead of having a vacant territory or an empty seat. And so, you're not having to pay headhunters, for example, or recruitment agencies. You know, it's such a cost saving as well. Well, let's talk about that as well. I'm a firm believer that having good recruiters in your network is a really good investment. It's worth spending money for good recruiters. But There are going to be a lot of salespeople out there who are going to lose their jobs. And in this marketplace, there will be a glut of CVs on the market. The advertised market is not one that I would recommend that you spend a whole heap of your energy and time on because you will end up very disappointed. You need to treat your job search just like you are building your business from scratch in a new job. Go out and prospect for your new job. The reality is that if you can get through to chief executives and owners and you can cold call your way into an interview, that will put you in massively high regard because most of their salespeople are sat there licking their wounds, praying aggressively that the phone will ring. And there is budget. The budget is the people who they're going to let go. Mm. Uh, They can pay you. So prospect for your new role. And And also, Marcus, I think when you're prospecting and you've looked at the job spec, And you said, right, I'm an absolute fit because I've got these skills. Please add on to the back of each skill, which means that. So that you're going down a deeper benefit to the company. This is just basic sales stuff, but you do it when you're you're looking for a job too. So which means that. And you're tired tired in 
with what they are looking for and then an additional add-on to that? I'd go further. My experience is that the traditional job specification, frankly, bears little or no relation to what is going to make someone work out in the role. And a lot of job specs are just cut and paste with a little bit of an edit. What matters is the behavior that goes behind it. Skills can be learned. Experience, honestly, in my experience when I've recruited for my clients, that has been probably the least important factor because six or seven meetings in an industry, you'll learn enough about the language and the type of framework. Yes, in some areas, it may need a little bit longer. But the reality is when you're looking to hire people, don't put together a traditional job specification. Design the candidate around the results they are meant to deliver and work out what are the behaviors that get them there. Interview for those behaviors. When you're approaching potential employers, ask them about the habits that make people successful in the role. That will flummox them in my experience, because they've never really given it any thought. And what they'll do is they'll come back and they'll talk about skills. But actually what matters is what behaviors people do repeatedly, consistently, without having to have a boot on their neck, that that's what determines people's success in role in sales or in management or in any function. What do they do repeatedly, consistently? And work out why that objective is important. Yes, there's the revenue target or a profit target or an average monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue target, whatever it happens to be. But what are they trying to achieve? What is the purpose behind it? Think deeper. Your average salesperson is an order taker. What they do is they try and find, match up people who are looking to buy their stuff and hope that they happen to be the one that gets picked. That is not salesmanship, okay? That is order-taking, and frankly, you're going to be replaced by robots. Real salesmanship, real professional selling is about finding people who think they are well and being able to identify problems that they have that they probably weren't aware of. And you're not going to be taking budget from planned budget. The best salespeople I know routinely take budget out of unplanned budget. CEO, the CFO, culls another project, fires a consultant, and then puts the money into that project. And what you need to be thinking of is how can I stand out in a crowded, competitive market where my competition is all around? What can I do to stand out and differentiate in how I approach my prospects, whether you're selling your products or services or whether you're going for a new job? Really important. Yeah. And I agree. It's that deeper level, that absolute deeper level of not just the skill, what that would mean to the company, but the behaviors that sit behind that and a really great way of doing that. And again, is aligned with good sales practice is to start and give some examples of what you've done and the behaviors that you put in place. You know, how did you build your pipeline? Who were you working with? Did you identify who your ideal clients were? Or were you just hit and miss with anybody? or being an order taker, as Marcus has just alluded to, what amount of time are you putting in? How are you contacting people? What does this all mean to you? Why are you doing the job in the first place? What it means to you, all that purpose stuff. You know, and you're right, Marcus, it's about putting your head above the parapet, above 
everybody else who's going to be looking for those positions. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to prospecting, you need to get creative. So your existing customers are your best prospects. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is that most salespeople are very blinkered in their uh, approach. And what they do is they look at the existing customer. Can we sell more of the same, something similar but different? Can we sell them something else? Can we offer another project? But you're missing a massive ecosystem that surrounds your customers. Certainly if you're selling to enterprise or uh, mid-tier companies, they have a supply chain. What about their supply chain? Could you be selling to them? Could you be selling to their joint venture partners? Could you be selling to their channel? Look at their family of companies, parent companies, sister companies, subsidiaries, overseas. Are you talking to them about their alumni? Are you going through LinkedIn and, say, doing a search to identify people who used to work at that company but have now moved somewhere else in a similar space who might have the same kind of pains and problems. And I think the biggest area, which uh, Dillis alluded to right at the beginning, is the customer's customer. And how many of your customers sell to organizations that need your stuff? Now, if you just look at that ecosystem, I, I did this exercise last Christmas with a managed service provider client of mine, and they were under pressure to deliver 12% growth, okay? A 20-minute exercise looking at just their top 10% of their existing customers yielded an average of 125% growth potential, just doing that exercise. So it's not that the business isn't out there. You're not seeing it because your imagination is blurred. It's out of focus. The other thing to consider is to be very planned about this and have a strategy and then the tactics that you're going to put into place. Because I was talking to a client, prospective client last week, actually, and they were saying, we're doing loads of things, we're doing so much, but nothing was being done well. And they didn't have it written down. They didn't really know which direction they were going in. They were jumping from a bit of this to a bit of that. Headless this thing. needs to be planned out. You know, we've talked about a lot of things, and uh, yeah, I'm a realist. You can't do everything. So you have to decide what your strategy is going to be, have it written down, and then write out the, the, the tactics and the plan that sits behind that, the, the, the how-to that sits behind your strategy. Very and there was some research done by Harvard Business School, and they went back to some of their students. And what they found was that only 3% of the past students had a written business plan in their business. And they made more than the other 97% collectively. So the 97% hadn't a written plan, 3% did, and they made more than the 97% put together. Having something written down gets it out of your head. It gives you clarity. It gives you focus. It gives you direction. Please, if you haven't got stuff written down, I implore you to do that today or tomorrow, we've got time on our hands, please put your strategy together and decide which marketing activity, which prospecting activity you are going to put into place. And you mentioned also for the leaders, you mentioned a book there earlier on, Marcus, the Sales Coach Playbook. Is it Bill Bartlett? Yeah, Bill Bartlett's Sales Coach's Playbook. Get this. As leaders, get a book. If you If you're business isn't investing in training for you, which they should do because it's madness to think you can go from 
being a salesperson to a leader is completely different skills. But get that book and you need to have a strategy and a plan for how you are going to develop your people and how you what what's your strategy around having people in, you know, a back pocket recruitment, as I call it, people in the pipeline to bring in as new hires if you have to let some of your people go. So well, I, strategy I, and written, please, with, a, with then a, a, the written how-to that sits behind it. And business leaders, you need to be coaching your managers. Yeah. They need coaching too. If you are not coaching them on a regular basis, they will do what was done to them. Mm-hmm. And so you need to learn how to coach. Coaching is the single <coughs> lever that you can apply in your business. Now, it, there is absolute requirement for ongoing training. You need to reinforce what's been trained in the field, in the real world. And so, again, Dillis touched on it earlier, role play. I hear so often, oh, I don't like role play. I don't give a damn. It's your mm-hmm. job to get good. There is not an objection that you come across that you cannot have rehearsed and planned for. In 34 years, I think it is, I've been in sales. I have only come across one original objection, and it was a lie. It was a company selling barter, and a Sikh prospect said to them, it's against my religion to barter. And because the guy was not particularly aware uh, culturally, he believed it. And so he left with his tail between his legs. I can honestly say that is the only original objection I have ever heard mm-hmm. in my entire career. So objections can be planned for and you can rehearse people. You can rehearse them for a positive, a neutral and a negative prospect. You can rehearse against pushback. In this economy, you are going to come up against this one. Look, the timing's wrong. COVID-19, everything's put, being put on hold. Now, if you haven't got a good way of selling past that, you're dead in the water. Things that are going to be cut are going to be recruitment. There's going to be headcount freezes if they haven't already happened. Any non-vital spending will be stopped. Marketing will be cut. And then they'll start cutting the sales force and uh, reducing the headcount there. These are the four things that you need to build up in this kind of uh, situation. You need to Step up your recruitment activity. It doesn't mean you hire. It means that you're building that bench. And if you come across a good salesperson who is ready to move, hire them because they will pay for themselves. Don't cut back on marketing. Under no circumstances, cut back on marketing. But get this. Google AdWords, $56 billion a year is wasted on Google AdWords. So do ask yourself the question, Why is our marketing not working and why are the returns that we're getting so poor? So focus your marketing where it matters. Areas that I think you can really step up is in quality content production. LinkedIn has some awful, awful content on there, but also there is some fantastic material. And the content needs to bring real value. It needs to challenge people's thinking. It needs to encourage people to see the world through a different lens. And it needs to deliver value. I think PR is really important in this kind of economy. If you can tap into the credibility of customers and editorial teams who already have a a captive audience and people are going to be reading their material, watching it, curating it, then it's really important. What you do is you develop stories where you make your customer the hero, 
remember this, a story that you're the hero, no one's interested in because they can't see themselves in it. And it's really important that you make your customers the hero. You are the guide. You're the Sherpa. You are Yoda. You're Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're not Luke Skywalker. You're not Sir Edmund Hillary. So make sure that you're developing really good content. It's about consistency. You need to be marketing not only for today, but in the medium to long term. You know, you've got to build that pipeline. You've got to build those relationships. You've got to build the credibility. And you have to do that now. Now is not the time to stop. Now is the time to really put your thinking cap on and think harder. It's not about working harder. You probably already work very hard. Refocus your attention on the stuff that matters. And to finish on this point, Dillis said, you know, you have to really focus your attention. Well, what you say no to in this market will matter more than what you say yes to. So be ready to sacrifice the stuff that you have very little or no chance of winning. Don't just keep it in the pipeline because you need some numbers in there so that you keep your mortgage paid. Get out uh, there. Start thinking, how can I niche down? Because when you niche down, you're far more likely to be able to grow if you develop really good talk tracks and you really focus on helping a more tightly defined niche. Trying to be uh, please everybody means you please no one. Thoughts, Dillis? Well, I couldn't say it any better myself, Marcus. <laughs> I think you, you've said it all. I suppose the two points that, that I want would like to make is that, you know, as Marcus said, it's really important to keep your prospecting going. So for the salespeople listening to this, do not stop. And in fact, if anything, ramp up your activity, ramp it up. Marcus gave you some really good tips there in terms of creating content and PR. What I would also say is that you have a marketing strategy where you're using LinkedIn, you're using email, and you're following up, dare I say it, with the telephone. Please use the telephone. Absolutely. This is where you start and you get that proper connection. You start bonding with people. People seem to spend so much time on social media now. Now, I'm not against it. I'm absolutely not. I'm an advocate, but it has to be a part of, not instead of. So the, the mix is important. Yes. Yeah, remember that you need to be able to surround your prospects because there's a, a, you know, they've got walls protection uh, around them. They may not pick up your email, but they may catch a post. They'll get your voicemail. If you can get referred in, even better. Better, even better, yeah. Use a range of prospecting tools. Do not sit back on your laurels, but get creative and take this time over the next couple of weeks to rethink your talk tracks so that they're relevant to now. What worked two weeks ago probably isn't going to work now. And this is where you have to really think hard. Sales is a creative activity. Um, A lot of it, frankly, uh, is about systems and process. But you need to be really creative about how you are going to approach your target market and enter the conversations they are having today. And be empathetic. God, yeah. I mean, you have to approach your prospecting with empathy and with sensitivity. Mm -hmm. You've got to recognize that a lot of people are terrified. Many of them are going to lose their jobs. They don't know what's happening. But that doesn't mean you stop. You have the right to to sell. You have the right to do business. But if you get in the way of that, that's on you. 
And yeah. you can't blame the economy. You can't blame the market. You can't blame your management. You can't blame your marketing. Ultimately, you own your personal number. That's your job. And if you miss it, that's your fault. So yes. sort yourselves out. Don't forget, you know, you are working. A lot of us are working at home on our own. Make sure you're reaching out. If you're in a team, get some a conversation going on Zoom and really brainstorm and help each other to be creative. Brainstorming is brilliant because you can say something that triggers a thought in somebody else's mind that they hadn't thought of. So collaborate with each other. Use the support of each other for us to get through this. And we will. We absolutely will. But, you know, focus. Leaders, lead with courage and create that motivation within your team. You don't have to know the answer to everything. Use the power of the team to help move everybody forward. But then individually, you're responsible for your number, as Marcus has just said. Well, something that's surprised me in terms of how well it's worked, and it's entirely accidental, was when the lockdown was going to be announced, I invited my former clients, many of whom I haven't spoken to for anything up to 14 years, shame on me, to participate in a weekly group coaching call on Zoom. It's resulted in 80 contacts rekindling their relationship with me. And off the back of that, I'm getting referrals. I'm getting a new business. That wasn't my intention. But go back to historical clients and phone them up and say, look, I know we haven't done business in a while, but I'm concerned. Are you okay? Are your family okay? Is there anything that we can do to help? And that human contact in this kind of environment is really important. So that really surprised me, just how uh, warm the reception was to that. Mm. And we just had our second one, and they are beltingly good. Now, people are coming with questions and problems, and we're able to uh, help them tackle problems on the spot. It's amazing Mm. the result off the back of that. So feel free. That is really excellent, Marcus. I do something similar, but it's... I do an executive roundtable, so I'll bring the executives from a company together to have a meeting and, you know, look at where they are, what their issues are, and then really looking, working through those issues so that they're moving forward. But I absolutely love that idea of bringing clients on board onto a Zoom call and having that kind of meeting that really makes people feel good apart from anything else because they think, I'm not in this alone. And then they've got other people that they can bounce ideas off. Brilliant, Marcus. Love it. Excellent. Okay, Dillis, one final parting thought then. What are you personally struggling with at the moment? I have to be careful because I am a people person. I'm very much a people person. And so I am reaching out. I'm creating group calls. And I've still got a lot of business going on. And, I, and I'm bringing them online. So in some ways, it's easier for the introverts who are very happy to be working at home. And it, it isn't my natural way. I'm very much a, a people and be surrounded with people. And that kind of fires me. So I have to find ways to make that happen. Okay, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I, I'm essentially been practicing self-isolation for about 15 years anyway, because I spend a lot of the week working from my office and I generally get prospects to come to me but I've found what's really interesting is with the move over to tools like Zoom or Cube or whatever 
that it encourages the introverts to come out and to ask questions and to get more involved. So I think what's going to be really interesting over the next few months is just how much value the introverts can bring in terms of ideas and creativity that they in a face-to-face meeting, they yes. may have suppressed. So again, on that final thought, I would suggest that people use these tools, the breakout rooms, the, the whiteboarding facilities on these technology, platforms, yeah. on these platforms to encourage more participation. And the other thing, just to finish off on something that's really important as well, make sure that if you are having meetings, that there are clear actions and one person is responsible for taking action by a specific date. Mm-hmm. One of the things that meetings has tended to generate is lots of gas and then say we must do something about it and then people don't have uh, assigned responsibility now if they don't have assigned responsibility then and two or more people think that they're meant to be doing something they'll wait for the other people to do it Mm. so use these opportunities to make sure that someone walks away with a clear responsibility to take action and someone else is accountable or maybe the same person accountable for making sure that thing is done and make the best use of this time where we can simplify our processes, where we can really focus on what works and what doesn't in order to ensure that we improve. Use this as an opportunity. Do not lie down and die. Absolutely. Keep, keep your mind positive. Even, even if you've got those negative thoughts going on, recognize them and put them to one side and think, right, if you've got this going through your head, like, I can't because, switch it around, I could if. Could Excellent. If. Dillis, how can people get hold of you? My website is dillisguyan.com. That's D-Y-L-I-S, dillisguyan, G-U-Y-A-N. That's dillisguyan.com. Or email is dillis at dillisguyan.com. They could join my Facebook group called Inspired Selling. It's a free closed group for coaches, trainers, consultants, business experts who are selling to bigger businesses or want to. And you could find me on LinkedIn, Dillis Guyan. There's only just me. So you wouldn't be confused with anybody else, much like my friend, Marcus Kauke. No, nope, there is now a second Marcus Kauke. He works in recruitment in Essex. No way. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, up until this point, I'd be, I thought I was unique, but I'm Good not. Lord. Well, definitely am um <laughs> so yes and if anybody's got any questions you know please reach out and and ask if you're feeling downhearted reach out and you know i'm happy to have a chat or send me an email or or whatever don't let this get you down please thanks Dillis. you're so welcome this, this is marcus kauke signing off from the inquisitor podcast If you found this useful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you think you would be a good guest on the podcast and you're ready to have a forthright and robust conversation, then please get in touch at mcauchi at sandler.com. And if there's somebody that you would recommend who would be a great guest on the podcast or you think you'd like to have them because you've read their book, then please let me know. Maybe connect us on LinkedIn and suggest that they come on as a guest. As Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. Happy selling. Stay safe. Be well. Bye-bye.